0: Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca,
1: and I'm Pastor Chad,
0: and Ezekiel Dry Bones. Dem bones, dem bones gonna rise again. <laughs>
1: so I love African American spirituals. They're just Say, like, I do too. Yeah, yeah they're I mean some they're, of the best songs. They're just so um, upbeat. Yeah. I mean, again, this text maybe isn't the most upbeat text, but but like I love, you know, Wade in the Water. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's my favorite hymn in the entire hymnal. Like I, I love that African American spiritual, you know, music feel. Um,
0: well, and I, and I actually, I referenced the the Dem Bones in um, our in, in my sermon on Sunday. And part of what I said was, this is a really peppy song that we all can kind of get into. And then when you actually look at the text, you're like. Oh. <laughs>
1: well, again, it goes so, back to something that we talk about a lot on this podcast. You know, the Sunday school theology isn't always the most helpful um, or most accurate. And I think, you know, this t- This is one of them. So you get Sunday school kids singing this text and you don't really look at it a whole so lot. So
0: back in the days when I did chapel,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I don't know if it was this text. I remember it had something to do with resurrection. And I pulled a spark video for the kids to watch Yep. and thinking, you know, spark kids, they kind of know what they're doing. And (laughs) basically they had like these zombie flowers Ah. um, to try and, and which scared the heck out of the kids. They were like starting to cry because there were zombie flowers and I was like, oh my, Um,
1: (laughs) Pastor Rebecca doesn't do chapel anymore. Yeah,
0: there's a reason. Um, (laughs) it did not occur to me that the the zombie flowers would, would, would scare the child because, you know, you think spark is going to have something that's safe for kids and that, you know, they've, um, gone through some kind of quality assurance there, but yeah, no, it, it, and and admittedly, even um, during the children's sermon, when Brittany starts talking about skeletons getting up, I was like, "That's scary stuff." Especially if you're a kid, yeah. I think thinking about dead people coming to life.
1: Yeah, I think you know my my general philosophy and take on children's sermons and children's chapel here at the preschool kids is maybe you don't need to actually go over the text. Right, mm-hmm. so there's a there's a message in there, and it's some and it's not, it's not always. Sometimes you really really have to dig to unearth a message that is appropriate for kids. But what is the message trying to convey, and how can I convey that, even if it is is not talking about the actual text, right? right. So, you know, there's a message in this Ezekiel text. Um,
0: you will live again.
1: You will live again. Yeah. Um, and even that's really really hard. Um, to convey to kids, but you, you kind of dig deep and go, okay. So, you know, eh, it's a little rough for well, kids. But how, how can we how can we portray something that is not um, I, I, traumatizing? Know, th- put it that way.
0: And, and I think the, the the angle I took in my adult sermon ha- was more along the lines of God has a future for us. Yeah. Um. And that was what th- that vision. And and I think we get lost sometimes in recognizing that some of these things are visions. They're not necessarily a literal um, kind of thing, where you know.
1: Literal you know that, translations of scripture often get you in trouble.
0: Right. Often. Um, and, and you know, and and I think the the point of Ezekiel's vision, at least for the Israelites at that point in time, was not that God was going to raise them up, literally raise them up out of their graves, and there's a whole new population of of. Israelites living in Israel, it was, I have a future for you. You're not dead. Right. And, you know, I will bring you back, et cetera, et cetera. Because, I mean, I think we can all recognize that when the Israelites did come back, um, people didn't start popping up out of the valley of dry bones. Right. Um, that, that did not happen. And a lot of times people will say, oh, well, that's because it wasn't fulfilled. And I say, no, I don't think that's the issue. I I think those portions of scripture where God was making a specific promise to Israel in terms of, I'm going to bring you back, that part, I think, you know, was fulfilled. Now, does that still pertain to us further down the road? And yes, the point being God has a future for God's people. Um, And you apply it beyond the specific circumstances that were there. And, of course, we have, through Jesus, a physical, literal yep. resurrection of the dead, which you can point to this particular scripture and say, see that? But, again, with, with visions, taking visions, literally, is really hard. Yeah. Jesus wasn't a vision. Right. Jesus was, was, was real.
1: I, so I am not a huge history fan in the sense that, oh... That was really interesting from a history standpoint. Mm-hmm. I'm a history fan in a sense of okay, what does this mean? What can I learn from this chunk of history that I can apply to me or to society or whatever? How can I how can I make that how can I make that connection now? Um, you know, I mean, take any. Today is, I believe, is today Pearl Harbor Day? It is. I thought so. Um, you know, okay, so tragic event, interesting event. What can we do? What can we learn from it, and how can we apply that? So, so with Scripture, I do the same thing. So even the historical pieces of Scripture, how can I take those historical pieces of Scripture? and apply them to like today. You know, we talk about you know what faith it's the you know the scripture is the living word, right? Mm-hmm. The living word, which means it's not dead, which means it's still relevant. So if it's still relevant, what do I need to get out of it? What do we need to get out of it collectively as society that that makes a difference, right? What makes a difference in how in how we interact?
0: Well, and uh, and again I think it's you can't take that one particular vision and remove it from the wider context yep. of things that are going on yep. and recognizing that the if you read all of Ezekiel there's a lot of of warning and judgment and stuff like that that comes along ahead of this. And so it's the again the 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 notion of Warning and judgment and if you don't change, bad stuff's going to happen. They don't change, the bad stuff happens. Yep. And then it becomes a question of, okay, now what? We we didn't change, the bad stuff happened, now where do we go from here? Yep. And that's the situation that, that they're in. Is where, where do we, it, it, by that point in, in Ezekiel's life, is okay, where do we go from here? And, and where is this future leading us? And I think we can have some of the same sort of conversations and questions. Um, I, of course, roped uh, a bit of revelation into this because it kind of does the same thing when we're talking about prophetic visions and prophetic texts. And so, how do I apply um, a a text from that was to Israel to Christians now, and that was specifically for them in this particular time and place? and I'm like, "Oh well, guess what? this has already been reapplied john in in the book of Revelation reapplies almost it, Ezekiel in particular, he loves Ezekiel's visions. My guess is because Revelation's full of visions, um, it, it kind of works. Right. And he now I'm not talking about necessarily this particular vision, um, although there is a resurrection scene. Doesn't follow this one quite the same way. It's you know not the rattling of bones or whatever. But I mean, when you get into especially like Revelation 21, um, there's that. Uh, notion of there will be no more tears, no more, you know, um, I will be your God, you know, you will be my people. Um, f- pulling from various prophets who who say these things, behold, I do a new thing, da-da-da-da-da. Um, and so all of that is pulling on what was the Old Testament and, and reapplying it and saying, this wasn't just for Israel, this is now also for you. And so when we're asking that question, what is my future, um, We tend to look at something like Revelation, but recognizing Revelation is just pulling all all the Old Testament stuff. and
1: It all ties together. And
0: part of what, again, Revelation is doing is saying, if you don't change, these are kind of the things that are going to happen. Because there's a lot of bad stuff that kind of goes on in Revelation.
1: Right, which is why people look at Revelation and are as, scared as this horrifying, scary thing because the middle of it really is. Yeah. Like the middle of the book of Revelation is some scary There's crap.
0: plagues and right. and all kinds of bad things going on, scorpions right. and, and whatnot. Yeah. And you know, if you read you read that and you're trying to read that in kind of that literal sense of, of a chronological series of events sort of thing, you're going to come away with that. I'm, I'm scared of what the future holds. Right. Um, at the same time, part of what a prophecy is supposed to do is warn you so that you will change your behavior. Uh, the prophets...
1: The problem is that change your right. behavior... And
0: and, and part of the thing going on in, in, you know, in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, etc., you know, all these prophets leading up were like, look, you need to change, you need to change, or this is going to happen. Revelation does kind of the same thing. It's you need to change, or these kinds of things are going to happen. Um, and it becomes, I think we've talked about this before, the self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak, of we decide that's what's going to happen, and so then we try to make that happen, and the, and, and the whole idea is no... Avoid this by changing your behavior.
1: Right. <laughs> we got to, We look at it from the wrong angle. Right.
0: We're not looking at it as it's Re- revelation, Ezekiel, etc. Gives basically two paths of, of of life, two ways to live. You can live according to um, kind of the way we tend to, which is the worldly ways, beastly ways. You know where the systems are oppressive and blah blah blah. Or we can choose the lamb who's been slain. We can choose the way of God. We can choose, um, you know, covenant, that kind of thing. We can choose which one of these ways we're going to live, right. and there are going to be different outcomes. Now, so if
1: I'm the lamb, I know I'm going to be slain, right?
0: Yeah, well, it's, so, the lamb who's been slain is Jesus. Right, yes. but we're supposed
1: to be followers, so then we equate to the lamb. Right. And we go, oh, I don't know if I want to be the lamb.
0: Right, because so the, go, lamb oh, right, the lamb looks
1: weak. So we go, oh, right, the lamb looks weak. That's exactly my point. The lamb looks kind of weak. Oh, nice and cuddly, but isn't going to survive. But the beast, rah! You're like, the big scary beast gives me a chance to live. Like, that's, that's, that's where we go, right? Like, our... Our, I don't know if I want to say our sinfulness, our...
0: But that's the reality that it's it's telling us. Correct. And we go,
1: oh, wait a minute. No, I need to be the beast because that's the strong and the powerful. And society tells us we have to be the strong and the powerful. And the weak, well, they don't survive. They get trampled. The
0: problem is most of us, um, a lot of times as Christians, aren't recognizing that the strong and powerful is the beast.
1: Right. Yep. I exactly. think the
0: strong and powerful is what we're supposed to be aligning with. Yep, yep. And that's actually why Revelation was written. Right. I, mean, I hate to be talking about Revelation when I'm it's, supposed to be talking about Ezekiel, but I kind of have to put them together.
1: Right, and, and I mean, again, and that, that, is, that is where we go so wrong, right? Because we follow this worldly path towards power domination because that's, what, that's, how, that's how, I don't know if we're wired that way naturally or that's how society wires us or whatever we get influenced it's at some point. Yeah. yeah,
0: from from the beginning of time we have we been,
1: we get into yeah. this. We need to be the strong and the powerful and the mighty, because the weak get trampled. Yet Scripture tells us the exact opposite. It's what makes it so hard. And and you know you were talking a couple of minutes ago, or we were talking about about behavior and changing behavior. Mm-hmm. It's hard to change behavior.
0: It's very hard.
1: Like I have been beginning a workout now for about two months. Beginning. Beginning. <laughs> I've <in>? done three. <laughs> so if, if my two months is accurate, and I'm probably, and I'll be in all honesty, being generous, it's probably closer to three, but let's just say it's two. Okay. So that's 60 days, again, round numbers sake, And I may have done three workouts in those two months. Three out of 60 days. I'm not a math genius, but that sucks. Behavior is so hard to change. Now, what I do know about myself, if I can push past that initial threshold, I'm golden because then I'm good. So when we lived in Gainesville, I had gained weight and was not at all happy. I'm like, you clothes don't fit. I had to buy fat clothes, and, I'm, and now my fat clothes are getting tight. Like, this is not okay. This is not who I wanna be from a health standpoint. So I had the P90X set on DVD, and I'm like, it's probably gonna kill me, but I'm gonna do it. And so P90X is 30 minutes a day.
0: Interesting, though. For
1: 90 days.
0: Interesting that you went, it's probably going to kill
1: me. Right. Yep. And I did it. And I lost weight. I felt better. I, you know, I, went, I went to the doctor just for a checkup. I know that sounds odd because they don't typically do that. Um, and he's like, You look like a different person. You look healthier. Your color's better. Like, what do you, I said, I'm working out and I'm drinking a lot of water not like fermented water and um, like actual water. <laughs> kind, of, kind of fun water. that. Yeah, no fun water, um, just like straight water. And I stopped drinking calories and, and I felt so, and so here's the, here's the stupid thing, right? You like, know you're gonna feel like bad. Like I'm sitting here in the flesh at, it's 2.35 on December 7th when we're recording this. I'm sitting here saying, I know that when I commit myself to working out, Feel better. Not only be healthier, but I feel better. And yet, you know what's gonna to happen tomorrow morning?
0: You're not gonna get up and work out.
1: I'm not gonna get up and work out. Because it's it's hard to change behaviors. So I think we need to recognize that right out of the gate. It's hard to change behaviors. Yep. yep. But but here's the other part of that lesson. There's a huge benefit at the end when we do. <laughs> like I, it, I mean, in this case, it's it's literally health but I mean, any behavior. So let's say, you know what, I really, want to, I really want to commit to doing daily devotions or reading the Bible every day. Well, it may be hard to start that exercise, but you know what? Once you start it, there's huge benefits to it. Like, it's just, the human condition is, and well, the psychology of it is just, and, and if you think
0: about how hard it is to do on an individual level, imagine how hard it is to accomplish at, a societal, yep. yeah, at a societal Because you have to level. get
1: everybody pulling on the rope, yep. in, excuse me, in the same direction, yep. which, <laughs> I mean, so, so, the, the other, so the two analogies that come to mind are everybody pulling on the rope or everybody in the boat row in the same, same direction. direction. And right now we got half the people rowing in one direction and half the people rowing in the other direction are boating on anywhere. We're just going in a circle, I didn't yell at each other because they're both going in a circle well gee, i wonder
0: but but I find you know let's let's put it back in that context of what you were talking about in in terms of you said i i I know that doing it this doing this way quote is going to kill me, I know you're talking metaphorically from right. that standpoint, but when we're looking at again when we're looking at quote the lamb who was slain whatever we're like that's going to kill me <laughs> kind of, kind of thing to, to make that change yeah. means I make myself vulnerable. I make myself, um, open to two things that, that are going to be painful, yeah. um, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the stronger, stronger, yeah. powerful kind of, kind of way of living. I was,
1: I was so sore. I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand up straight and walk. I couldn't, I mean, getting out of bed was painful. Yeah. It was painful.
0: So it, it, ultimately, then, kind of the, the point that, that winds up coming in even, you know, for both Ezekiel and in a book like Revelation is, okay, so you don't change, and if you don't change, the disaster happens, but then what? Where do you go from there? And And, and again... For Christians, if we're reading something like Revelation, we're reading something like Ezekiel, the answer is always God still has a future. And, and there is still a future.
1: Even though we cling to death. Yes. Right? We cling to death.
0: Yeah. We, we because, cling to destruction. Because
1: it's what we know, and that's more comfortable than change, which so, we, quote, don't know.
0: So I was watching... Um, which is just sad. Yeah, yeah I, got, I got my booster shot on Sunday. Which laid me out yesterday completely. Um, so I sat at home and, in my my fun fever state, <laughs> was was watching um, the, the a kind of a documentary thing on the fall of the Sumerian civilization, which is like the earliest civilization. Um, known to mankind.
1: So you know you're a Bible nerd when you have a fever and you start watching things on Sumerian documentary.
0: Hey man, I watched fall the, of the, the fall of Sum- Sumerian yeah. civilization. I, I watched um, the fall of the Assyrian civilization, which I learned some really intriguing things. With by a the way. fever.
1: I mean, With, I might watch that because it might help me fall asleep.
0: <laughs> the boi- the guy who does it, the voice is very soothing. There I you go. I will warn you. Um, and I kind of maybe was trying to do that too because I really wanted to sleep, but I couldn't because everything hurt. But <laughs> um, one of the, the things that they pointed out is they, they were like, from the very beginning when we began as humans organizing into some kind of cohesive society, from that moment forward, we have barbaric tendencies of how we would go and slaughter other people, yeah, um, and it kind of struck a chord with me where i was sitting there going, "Yeah." From from the very beginning, if you look at the story of, you know, what happens after Adam and Eve, you get Cain and Abel, and what's the immediate thing that happens? Boom, we kill each other.
1: I've never like I don't. I guess I don't understand that
0: the the killing. Yeah. Why why we're so barbaric and
1: yeah. I, I maybe I'm, maybe I'm just afraid that I would lose. <laughs> <laughs> but like I've like I just I can't like I can't imagine walking into a school and, and killing people. I, I can't imagine like I I, I can't I can't imagine, I imagine taking someone's life.
0: The Flip side of that is I think that at some point in time in our lives we've probably been angry enough to to kill somebody.
1: So angry enough to do it and actually doing it, it, two different things, right? Yeah. But
0: but how far is that threshold, and and what keeps? And I guess the question then becomes, what what keeps us from from actually acting upon it? Is it because we know there are consequences to doing that, or is it because we innately value human life? I'm gonna go with. It's because there are actually rules and laws in place that say don't do it. You're going to get punished if you do that, and so I won't do it. And it, later in life, maybe you start to recognize the, the, the value and sanctity of, of human life. Um, and I know my faith definitely has made that a much more, and it's hard in our society because our society kind of shrugs off death now. Um, we see it as collateral damage. We see it as necessary, n- you know, necessary things that have to happen. Well, okay, so this portion of society has to die for this. Okay.
1: Yeah, drone strike. Oh, sorry, that was not the intended target, but it's co- the cost of doing business or yeah. cost of war, so to speak. And um, as if those people don't have a right, whoever they are, have a right to have a right to live.
0: Right. And I mean, we can apply that to a bunch of different things, even in our own country, which I'm not going to get into. Um, but there are a lot of uh, situations where, if we were willing to address certain issues, um, we might reduce the amount of death.
1: So it's interesting. So the difference between being the sacrificial lamb and sacrificing lambs, so to speak you know th- there's that's an interesting um, dichotomy between worshiping the lamb who was slain and and, and and designating that that's a that's a loaded there, word designating people to be slain
0: well, I was going to say there's a huge difference between being willing to die for something yeah. and volunteering others to die correct for, right exactly for my right to do x y or z yeah um and Unfortunately, we tend to fall as a society on the side of I'm willing to let other people suffer as long as I have my particular thing.
1: I really do did. I, I didn't used to be a pacifist, and I don't know that I I don't didn't either. I don't know that I completely fall in line with pacifism um, by a strict definition but I'm well, a it's lot, hard when you, but it's, I'm a lot closer than I used to be Man. And, 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 I,
0: and I fully admit. It's really, really hard to be a full-on pacifist when you know that there are people who would not hesitate to kill you in an instant. Right. Um, And how do you deal with that, and how do you stand up to that, and how do you... But again, part of Revelation is about this is how you stand up to it. Unfortunately, a lot of times that does result in a lot of death um, of your own. Yeah. But it's... I mean, it's hard. It's, it, it, it's you know, how do you not stand up to that? How do you not um, defend? How do you not, you know, defend other people who could be hurt or killed, et cetera, et cetera, when that's what you believe you're doing? And so yeah. that's, it, it's it's not cut and dried. We live in an imperfect world, and I think we will always have some form of, of war until Jesus returns, but the the kind of the, the, the I guess what I'm getting at is with all of this is we recognize our inability <laughs> to change the way we're supposed to not that I give up on it not that we don't still try to make that happen but there is also that comfort in knowing that there is still a future beyond that something that that destruction
1: so you have this pile of dry bones that were content to be a pile of dry bones, right?
0: As far as we know. Right,
1: I mean, they're... They're they're dead. They're dead. They're dry bones. (laughs) They got no... Whatever.
0: Literally no skin in the game now? Yeah, literally no skin (laughs) in the game. Sorry.
1: And God comes in, and God, very graphically in this text, starts layering back together these dry bones.
0: That's the thing that always struck me. And brings them
1: back to life. So I mean what's the lesson here for us, right? Like we're dry bones, let's just be honest. But with God we're not. Like God like God connects our tissues and and keeps us whole and makes us whole, not just individually but collectively. And without God, we're not really capable. We're, with God, we're probably still just a bunch of dry bones, you know, schlepping around, and or not even schlepping, you know, just kind of laying around in the desert, drying up more.
0: Well, and even the putting together—it isn't until the breath of God comes in right. and, and gives life. Otherwise, we do have zombies. Same and, um,
1: and, and same word. Same word f- at the beginning of creation. Same word in the New Testament. It's the Holy Spirit. Like, it's the same word throughout Scripture. God's breath. The Holy Spirit. Like, which which again, for me, transforms it from this old text to being relevant today. Right? Because it's not just like God... God breathed breath into those bones, or God breathed life into. Okay, you know, so God raised a, a, an,
0: an army of of Israelites. So what? Right. You know what's what? What does that matter?
1: Yeah, right. It does um, Frankly, to me, it doesn't. In in and of itself.
0: Yeah, um, independent, just a story all by itself is kind of like, well, that's cool.
1: Right. That that they put a really good song to that that. Yeah. Um, some people put a really peppy song to.
0: Right, and, but how does that then apply to me? And that, that was the big question that I asked. Is I was like, how does this apply to me? And, or to us, in any way, shape, or form. It's 2,500 years later. What, what do we have to do with that Israelite army that was being raised back to life? Um, and I, I always have to, whenever I read this text, I am always struck by and amazed by the amount of detail that goes into... I mean, it could he, Ezekiel could have just been like, oh, and the, the bones came back to life. Yeah. I, I mean, it could have been a real simple, but no, there's this, the, the, the bones, they rattle, and then as they rattle, and they come together, and then there's sinews that are put on them, and then the muscles, and then the skin, and, and it's just kind of like, you know...
1: It's the good scene, special it's, effects. It's the scene from The Mummy.
0: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Right, that's what, that's what
1: I envision. Like the yeah. scene from the movie The kinda Mummy. That's gross. Right. Um, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. But really good special effects.
0: And but again, you know, that that whole okay, nice special effects, whatever. What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with me? And like I said, you have to... Are you going to answer that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I kind of answered it in my sermon, but I'll answer it here too. Um, what it has to do with us is, again, that ongoing promise of there is a future, which is, I think, the point of this vision. Like, it, I, 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 There's a future. There's a future. There was a future for Israel. There's a future for God's people. Um, and that continues on into today in terms of... Um, we have a future with God. Yeah. We have a future with God, um, and even if we
1: 're dry bones
0: even if we 're dry bones, we have a future with God.
1: which is hard to accept, right like mm-hmm. like for, like for for a lot of people, you know the idea that you so so those people are dry bones, but i 'm not dry bones, right like
0: we'll be one day
1: right, but it's like it's a metaphorically dry bones. <laughs> So, so those people, you know, don't go to church or those people, you know, don't, they believe in baptism differently than we do, or they, you know, whatever, take your pick. There's a million ways in which we, deter- we want to, we, there's a million ways in which we um, want to determine who's in, who's quote in and who's out in terms of, you know, the, the, the bus to heaven. Um. But the reality is, like, we're all dry bones. We're, we all are. So uh, I, I think that's, you know, we have a future with God. And that we isn't like you and me, and isn't just the people who happen to hear the sermon or happen to show up at a church this weekend. It's, it's collectively a society. Like,
0: there is a future.
1: And that's hard, right? Because well, if I'm doing if I'm doing all this quote work, right? If Mm -hmm. I'm going to church every Sunday, and if I'm serving at the soup kitchen and I'm donating my money, then I should have a special reward, reward, or I should get like the easy pass or the express lane or you know fly first class or whatever. You know, I want I want the first class stairway. I want the easy pass. or Disney Fast Pass through the gates, right? Like, I shouldn't have to wait in line because I did X, Y, and Z. I want the Fast Pass. Well.
0: Well, and I think it kind of, again, um, part of why I think we work the way we work is not because we're expecting the reward, at least for me. Um, I do it because I really believe in God's vision in terms of what God wants for us in the future, I kind of want us to have a little bit right now. I, I kind of want us to live like that now. Yeah. Because. Th-
1: so, so so here's the thing. Do we? Like, do we
0: live that way right now? No,
1: no. Do we really want that, right? Well, so, that was
0: our question what, two weeks ago.
1: Yeah, and. Well and even today in prep for, for next yeah. week's lesson, you know, this idea of you know, what does this look like? You know, what does this kingdom of God thing look like? What does this leveling of the playing field look like? Mm-hmm. And you go and, and I this, I said this this morning, um, and it may come out this week in my sermon, Who knows? I said, you know, I said, I don't feel like I'm rich. Like like Christine and I do okay. Um, you know, we have it we have it we have an okay our house is okay. You know, we have newish, newer-ish cars. Um, you know, we're we're not, we're we're not we're not going hungry. You know, we you know we can afford some stuff. Um, I don't feel like we're rich, but on a global scale, you know, you start looking at what you know our household income is, um, what our housing situ- living situation looks like, um, what we drive. And then you go down to a place like Haiti. Oh, I'm filthy rich in Haiti, relatively, maybe not filthy. I'm wealthy in Haiti. So it's like, you know, because I, I, I agree with you. I, I one of the one of the reasons I got into ministry was because you know I want to make a difference in the world. Like, yes, individually, yes, you know, the whole bring people to Jesus thing, yes. But for me, it's it's for me it's less bring people to Jesus than it is take Jesus into the world. Right. Like I think that's how I make that distinction, and and I say that recognizing that, you know, that may mean that I have a different level of comfort in living, and that's the hard part. And I think that's where, at least culturally in this country, we really struggle. Um, Well, what does it look like? And
0: and I think from my standpoint of you know when I went into all of this part of, part of what I you know wanted, not you know in terms of not just bringing Jesus out into the world, but I came out of kind of an understanding of God that was a little bit terrifying. Um, even though I was raised pretty much mainline, there were some elements that definitely had some of the the scary stuff in it, um, and. I spent a lot of time being afraid of, of God. And I realized eventually that that was not a good way to have a relationship. (laughs) That's, that's not a, a, when you're afraid of somebody, you don't have a good relationship with that, that person. Yep. Um, and we were talking a little bit about this, you know, with a, quote, a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, if your personal relationship with Jesus, God, etc., is fear-based, that's not a good relationship. And having been in a relationship that was fear-based um, on both a human level as well as on the, you know, being afraid of God or whatever, um, those aren't healthy. Those aren't good ways to live. And I really, my, I guess, hope always was that I I could help undo some of those things I was brought up with, because I figured if I was brought up with it, there's a whole lot of other people that were brought up with it, too, and want them to understand who God really is, and that he isn't this vengeful, cruel um, deity that Just to sitting there waiting for you to screw something up, and so for me it's both taking Jesus into the world but let's let's talk about who Jesus is from the standpoint of um I know some people who when you say christian they just they they do not want to hear it, yep, they do not want to hear it because it has come at them in a very judgmental, terrible way, and so that is not the Jesus I want them to know because right. That's not the Jesus I know. So there's, there's a very different kind of way in which you go about um, bringing Jesus into the rest of the world. And there's, like I said, there's, there's the way that causes harm and there's a way that doesn't. Um, and I try to, to always be... Not that I do it perfectly <laughs> in no. any way, shape, or form. But I try not to be the one that brings the harmful um, message. Right. I try to bring the, the loving message, the accepting message, the one that makes people want to go, oh, okay, now I actually am interested in hearing about this God.
1: And I think that's, that's one of the hard parts. Um. Everybody needs to hear a different. Everybody needs to hear, and everybody hears things differently. Right. It's that. It's that again. Not not a new thing here. Law and gospel. You know, what's law to one person is gospel to another. What's gospel to one person is law to another. Right. And you know, even within the same, you put fifty people in a room. You know, chances are, um, if there's any kind of diversity, I'm not talking cultural diversity, I'm just, you know, general diversity, just
0: religious diversity. of
1: thought, um, <laughs> you know, they're going to hear, those 50 people are going to hear it differently. Nobody, nobody's nobody's going to hear it the same. Nope. Um, and that's one of the challenges. Um, unless your sermon is love, Amen. And even that...
0: And even that will get you...
1: People yeah. will hear it differently. When I say love, that could mean... So if I say love, amen, and that's my sermon. I sit down. Don't you wish. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, and and I...
0: It's kind of what Jesus did, though. He said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing and sat back down. Yeah. And, and then they tried to throw him off the cliff. But... <laughs> well, so so I, mean, I
1: mean, you could hear that as... I'm loved, and feel comforted by it, or you could hear that as an indictment that you don't love enough, or, and you're supposed to go love. So I mean, literally, a one-word sermon. Love.
0: Still is gonna be heard.
1: Oh, wait. Does that mean I'm loved, or does that mean I'm supposed... And again, if you're someone who has this, is, is kind of wired towards, um, you know, I, I feel guilty, oh, I need to love more. And then you're going to go back and you're going to think of all the people who maybe you feel you haven't shown love to. If you're someone who, um, let's say, is in an abusive relationship or has had a negative relationship with God um, for whatever reason, and my sermon is love, amen. You're going to be like, oh my God, like that is so powerful because I don't feel loved in my my day-to-day life or I don't feel loved by God. So, I mean, that, that's one of the really interesting pieces. Um, it, it's really, it makes preaching really challenging um, because you try and craft a message that people hear, obviously, and try and try and put a message together that, that resonates um, and motivates, and not everybody hears it the same way. And, and we get this, you know, we, we've both gotten these emails, um same sermon and one person is you know send you an email that says man pastor that was a great sermon this week um i really needed to hear that and the next email you open is you know how dare you preach a sermon like that yada yada yada, you know blah 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 yeah and it's like wait a minute that was the exact same sermon at the exact same service. So it's not like, well, at six o'clock Black you preach this. this. At 11.15 you said this. And at nine, you know, nope. It was the exact same group of people at the exact same time. And one Hearing person says, very differently. that was a great message. I really needed that. Thank you. And someone says, how dare you preach that message? Yeah. And you go, huh. Again, it's. Yeah. What do you mean dry bones? I'm not dry bones. Oh, Thank you, I needed to hear that i 'm dry bones <laughs> it's again it's it's part of the beauty of god 's creation that there is diversity and we're not all programmed exactly the same. Um, it also creates you know some vocational challenges um,
0: yeah and and unfortunately we're not all in a place where when we feel convicted by something um we're able to go, why do I feel convicted by this? Right. That, call, that, that requires a lot of introspection. Yeah, in
1: most cases, if you're mad at a sermon, you're probably more mad at something in your life than the actual sermon.
0: Right. And, like,
1: and, I, don't mean to sound, I don't mean to sound like kind of dismissive, but in often cases, it's more, um, I understand you didn't like that sermon, but let's do some introspection as to why maybe you didn't like that sermon. And my guess is that it's probably not so much my sermon that you didn't like; it's more you didn't like how it how it landed.
0: Right. <laughs> well, and you know, <laughs> uh, I and and being able to do introspective work is not easy. Um, I actually <laughs> one time I, I I went to a therapist and was actually trying to get therapy for something because I I recognized there was this issue in my life, and I'm like, you know, I really need to get at why this kind of thing kind of keeps happening, et cetera, et cetera, and the therapist went, after two sessions, just two, went, well, you're the most self-aware, introspective, and emotionally balanced person I think I've ever dealt with, and I I paused, and I went, well, first of all, there's no way that's true,
1: (laughs) You got some really messed up clients. And
0: then and then I was like, You you wow, you must have some really, really yeah, messed up clients or whatever. But I also then had to take a step back and recognize I probably am a little bit more because there's I have done a lot of work leading up to this point in my life. There's been a lot of stuff I've had to to unpack. And it's, recognize about myself.
1: It's hard to go. It's hard to make it through the seminary process and not be introspective. Right. Like, and, like, and it's not re-
0: everybody goes through that, and it's hard, hard work.
1: Right. Right. So, I mean, part of seminary is that introspection. The call. So, in general, there's a lot of introspection that goes into, do I feel called to do this? Mm-hmm. Right. So, there's that piece of it, and then there's. You know the wrestling with scripture and all the ways it convicts you that go that happens through seminary, and then there's the lovely of CPE and chaplaincy work, you know where you do chaplaincy, and then they really force you to be introspective. And let's
0: just put let's just put this out there, seminary students do not like doing CPE, for for the most part.
1: So I had um,
0: because it it beco- it's you 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 kind of poo poo it because it's kind of one of those. Oh, look, it's group therapy, um, which it kind of is, but it's also kind of necessary.
1: So I had, thank God, and I've talked about him on this podcast before. His name was Antone. Um, he was Ethiopian, and he lived um, downstairs from us my first year of seminary. And after the first year of seminary, we were getting ready to do cha- my chaplaincy work, and I was asking questions, and he said, listen lean into it. He said, you hear a million people complain about it. He said, lean into it and trust the process. And I didn't know what he meant. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what he meant at the time. And I got, I got, to, my, got to my chaplaincy. I was doing my CP, CPE. And my supervisor was part Native American, so he had this spiritual sense about him. Um... Christian, but also Native, so he had this like deep blended spirituality. It was really beautiful, and he was really, really gifted at making you dig into. Um, so, I, so I say frequently, say more about that, um, and a lot of that came from my chaplaincy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, and this will surprise absolutely no one who has met me, you know, for more than five, ten minutes. Um, You know, when you're doing your group work in chaplaincy, you're sitting in a room and in a circle, typically, and you're talking about, you know, things that have happened during your week um, doing chaplaincy. And there's often silence because not everybody is like, hey, I just want to like engage and spill my guts because I know it's spilling my guts. There's, There's part of being vulnerable and blah, 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 blah. About halfway through chaplaincy, one of my individual sessions, uh, my supervisor said to me, "I'm curious, why you always feel the need to fill the silence with talking." (laughs) And
0: (laughs) you can't see me right now, but I'm 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 laughing. And I just
1: kind of looked at (laughs) him, dumbfounded, like I was like, "What the hell are you talking about, man?" And I just kind of looked at him and he said, whenever there's silence in the group, within 30 seconds you fill it. Why do you think that is? (laughs) (laughs) So the next time we did group, we got to a point where everyone was silent and he would always sit with his legs crossed and kind of his arms folded and just wait for someone. And he usually would kind of stare at the floor waiting patiently.
0: This time he looked at you. And to
1: not pull anybody out. And he looked at me. He looked up after about 15 seconds and just looked at me and kind of gave me this look. Like, are you gonna do it again, you jerk? And I just kind of like, he nailed me because I was trying to figure out what to say to break the silence. And he just kind of looked at me and made eye, made eye contact. and. I caught myself. I don't think I was the I was the 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 five year old boy that had to pee. Like I was so uncomfortable and rushing around in my chair, I could not sit still. It was so incredibly uncomfortable to sit in that silence.
0: I got called out for having laughter as a defense mechanism.
1: Christina busts me all the time for using humor as a defense mechanism. Yep. But but I mean I mean there there's something about. There's something about that um, ability to to do introspection, and and seminary really. I if you do if you do seminary right, you know seminary will make you more introspective. Mm-hmm. Now, now the key is can you take it into other parts of your life? And that was not always my strength. So you know I did not take that level of introspection into my marriage, right? Well, that was a seminary thing. That was a work thing. That's not a personal thing. And I'll tell you what, like I've gotten much better at that recently. Or I can take a step back and go, man, like, why am am I mad about this? I can go, wait a minute, it's really not about something Christina did or something the kids did. It's really, I'm mad because I didn't ask for this or I haven't taken a day off or whatever the case may be. And having that ability to be introspective and go, okay, so.
0: Here's why I'm mad. I
1: heard your sermon and. I'm mad. And it really pissed me off, oh, well, it made it pissed me off because you know you're talking about you know giving money to the you're increasing your 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 offering, and rather than increasing my offering, last week I went and bought a new set of golf clubs again, whatever. Um, oh. I feel convicted by that because I really didn't need the golf clubs and I didn't give the money that I could have given. And instead, I, again, a silly example, but like, you know, what is... There's a, there's always a nerve that struck, but it's often not that I'm actually well, and, and to about. be
0: fair, when we go through CPE, we don't recognize what's happening at the time. Oh, no. The, the, that's what we're, we're it's developing. A, it's the beauty of it. It's when we get out of it and then get into the parish and things like that I mean I was never even going to be a pastor yeah to be even after I got into seminary I still was like I am not going to be a pastor this is not you know I, I'm, I'm I'm the geeky person who um, when she's at home sick sits and watch watches things on the fall of civilization oh um, <laughs> uh, you know I was going to be I know go on get my PhD be an instructor whatever but yeah working in a, a church was not something I saw myself doing long term. You had to do it for a, right. a, a short amount of time. Uh, which, is al- which
1: is also one of the flaws in our system that says you have to go into parish ministry first. Right. Um, I think they're starting to get away from that, I think. Well, But, but for a, a while it, it, was, it was, no, you have to go into parish ministry. It's like, well, wait a minute. So, I, so was a, there was a, a woman in my chaplaincy program that wanted to be a chaplain. Like, that's what she wanted to do. She said, nope, mm-hmm. you have to go into a parish first. Well, why? Like, this person had no interest in preaching. You know, they wanted to do chaplaincy work. Yeah. And the way the system was set up at that time, I don't think that's the case anymore, but at that time, was, nope, you have to go into the parish first. Yeah.
0: And, and I understand the logic behind it from the standpoint of um, doing parish ministry work does give you... A much better sense of what actually happens in the everyday lives of the people you're you're dealing with. Correct. Um, and from my perspective, of, you know, if you if I would have jumped to going straight to a PhD and teaching or whatever, I would not have understood some of the struggles that go on, some of the the things that people think in um, sitting in the pews that that this is like i when when again when we give a sermon and people come to us upset about something or whatever it never occurs to me on my own that someone's going to be upset by certain things yeah. that their understanding of it was this and because that particular view was not one i had ever entertained yep. or anything along those lines so yep. So it, it I, I get it.
1: It's, it's, it's why my wife who teaches counselor education has a priv- a part-time private practice. Right. She's like, how can you teach counseling? How can you educate counselors if you're no longer doing counseling? Yeah. And, and I'm like, you know what? You're right. I don't like it because you're basically working a job and a half or a job and three quarters. But from a, from a philosophical standpoint, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, if you're going to educate people, you have to actually be doing the work, I, I, I feel.
0: So now the segue oh. is, um, how did we get from Ezekiel to this? I don't and, know. <laughs> But I, I actually think that there, there's a connection here of, I mean, I know how we got here, and it took an interesting tangent. Yeah, I always do. Um, but, so let's take, you know, how we hear things. To, to the prophet, to Ezekiel, and how this vision was heard by the people and how in their circumstance of, of their time and place, of what that vision meant for them compared to what that vision means for us. How we hear this and how the people in exile in Babylon heard this Two very very different ways to hear this vision and this story. We immediately go to resurrection of the dead, people coming up out of their graves. And
1: and I would imagine a refugee hears it much differently than what I do. Exactly.
0: We've never we've never been living in exile. We have never been taken. And and that was kind of when I opened my sermon. What I had people start with was, I want you to imagine for a moment you have been taken away from your, your your home is destroyed. Your place of worship, all of those things, all destroyed. Friends and family probably killed. Now you've been taken to a whole other country. Have to speak a different language. Hurricane Katrina. Yeah.
1: Is the, is, and again, I didn't experience it personally. It's the only thing that I could, like, oh, wait a minute. Like that.
0: Little, yeah, the, the Again, displacement.
1: Not, displacement on, to a large degree. Again, yeah. not as significant, but still. Um, I, can't, I can't, You know, you said picture that. I can't yeah it, it's, i mean it's, it's i mean i mean that exile that to me is i lock my keys lock my myself out of my house right or like
0: or or your wife makes you sleep on the couch whatever no nope, doesn't happen <laughs> but
1: but like yeah, I mean like I lock myself out, oh crap, I'm in exile yeah <laughs> not the same thing
0: no it, but but trying to even you know just imagine that and then having to live that out and have that be your life um To hear that vision of promise, of, look, there is still a future, I mean, that really, I think, hits very differently than it does 21st century Christians living in the United States. Yep. Totally different context. Totally different. Promise is still the same. There's a future.
1: But the context is different, but and, it's very different and yes. makes and again highlights one of the challenges of scripture,
0: yeah, and um, requires us taking some you know time to to really look at well, what does this mean for us? what does this mean for me? How do I take this text and and see it as something useful in my time and place um, that can help people and yeah. We'll give them hope. We'll give them something. Be, and, and I'm not just talking the hope of, of resurrection in general in terms of, oh, well, when you die, you'll be resurrected. Not, people need to hear that, especially if you're in the midst of having lost a loved one. Um, that promise, when, when you are dealing with that kind of loss and death, is, is super necessary but there's, there's something beyond that, I think, this yearning for. There is something more. This isn't all there is. This isn't the end of the road. Yeah. This, this isn't how it is always going to have to be. There's something about that that I think speaks into probably every generation, um, no matter your circumstances. Being told there is a future is timeless. And a lot of these things, even though they have a context and a time and place, wind up being very timeless promises.
1: That's the point.
0: Yep. So, all right, that is it for us this week. We will be looking at Isaiah 55. We're going to kind of take a step back, We're going to go back to Isaiah um, for the third week of Advent. So yeah, because
1: then I think we go third week of Advent, as I say, I, Isaiah, Isaiah, and then I think we jump into Luke. John. John. The first, oh, yeah, just John.
0: Yep. Nope, we're going to go into your favorite gospel. John's gospel. My favorite gospel, not his favorite gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, Bye. everybody. Bye.